Hello everybody and welcome to Friend Diagram. This is the podcast where two friends catch up and find common ground between their favorite media. I'm Remy. I'm Kat. And today we're doing a top five episode where we'll be ranking our favorite five childhood pieces of media. Warning, spoilers ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Can you really spoil children's media, do you think? I don't know. It just seems like a funny thing for a kid to care about spoilers, you know? Uh, Maybe. I don't know. I feel like some of mine, like, transcend just children's media. Um, I was a very mature child. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I guess some of mine is not explicitly made for children, now that you mention it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, it is very obviously from a specific era of time, though. Like, Mm -hmm. all of these things, or most of these things, are really dead center on the 1990s for me, because that's when I was a child. Yeah. I'm curious, because we do have a little bit of, like, Mm -hmm. an age gap between us, so um, it'll be interesting to see, like, what kind of eras our media fell into. Mm-hmm. I'm about five or six years older than you, right? Yeah, five. Excellent. Yeah, and I had an older brother, too. He's, like, mm. about a year and a half older than me, so... Corey? Corey, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so Corey had a big influence on many of the things that I uh, consumed as a child, so... Yeah, that's great, having big brothers for that type of thing. Yeah. Jealous. <laughs> Have we said what we're doing other than in the intro? We're going to no. talk about our top five pieces of media um, from our childhoods. So this can be anything from movies to TV to books to games, um, music, any of that type of thing. Mm-hmm. And these are our top five favorites, um, favorite determined by however you want to define that, I kind of went with a lot of things that are very nostalgic for me. And when I was creating my top five list, I sort of went for things that might not be on every like 90s kid top Mm -hmm. five thing. There's like, there's a whole canon of like Nickelodeon shows that people associate with that era that I did love, like absolutely love those shows and they were big. I was very into them, but I kind of wanted to cover some things that maybe you forgot if you were a kid in the nineties. And, (laughs) um, I love them just as much, even though they are not, you know, still part of the cultural conversation. Mm. So that was my approach for making this ranking. My approach was a little bit different in that I just kind of thought back to media. I have like a lot of childhood memories formed around um, Mm -hmm. because I can like remember things very distinctly from my childhood, almost like their core memories, like associated with different pieces of media. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of just thought back to media that I can very vividly remember watching as a child and watched a lot or consumed a lot of and that was kind of my approach so it was just things that really left an impression on me Mm -hmm. um so I've got some more like 
mainstream pop culture-y type things and then mm-hmm. some less <laughs> pop culture-y things. Yeah, these are very similarly, a lot of these are the things that I watched over and over mm-hmm. and over again, and they had the most repeats out of anything, mm-hmm. so that, w- that played into my rankings as well. Yeah, and we just thought that this is a really good way to get to know us, because... Mm-hmm. Your childhood media says a lot about you as a person, I think. So <laughs> The origins of our taste. <laughs> so on our last top five, Remy led in. So I think I'm going to start today. Yeah, you can start us off with your number five spot and then we'll alternate from there. All right. So my number five spot is, um, it's kind of cheating because... It is actually a mixtape that my mom got made by (laughs) a guy that she was dating uh, when I was really young. Um, That's so cool. (laughs) Yeah. So I like dug this up as a kid and just like started listening to it. And my mom was like, oh, yeah, you can whatever. You can have that. Uh Uh-huh. And uh, it had like Matchbox 20 on it, Dave Matthews Band, Sugar Ray, just like classic 90s (laughs) (laughs) it was great wow Um, and so I have like very vivid memories like listening to the cd and being like this is peak content but it was a cd not an actual cassette tape yeah it was a cd okay I just call them mixtapes sure but I do think that a mixtape is a forgotten art maybe your partner's child way down the line will dig up one of your mixtapes and they'll it will inform their music tastes for the rest of their life (laughs) Um, (laughs) so seize that opportunity but yeah so I mean I definitely wouldn't say that those bands are like at the top of my list but Mm -hmm. um I do have like a playlist that has that kind of energy because I do really like returning to those songs and Mm -hmm. listening to them a lot But yeah, so that's my number five slot is just like all of the 90s classics that I listened to a lot as a kid. Sugar Ray makes me think of swimming at the public pool in the summertime. (laughs) What? (laughs) I love that. That's exactly how it makes me feel. I feel like the pool attendants either had like a mixtape CD that had perhaps 12 songs on it and two of them were Sugar Ray. (laughs) hits and or they played the local radio station that Mm -hmm. also was cycling through the same 12 songs yeah so (laughs) i very distinctly think of the pool (laughs) yeah and sugar ray is such like a summery type big time absolutely because it was a cd there there was no shuffle like we didn't have a car that could shuffle the songs oh yeah so Mm -hmm. like after like 3 a.m you always have to play every morning and like that is the order that the songs have to go in because that's the order I've always listened to them in Mm -hmm. oh yeah I'm sure a lot of thought and curation went into that cd for your mom that's amazing (laughs) someone's appreciating it (laughs) what do you think that guy would think if he knew (laughs) I don't know (laughs) that's all I got for that one it's pretty simple pretty simple very specific mm-hmm. <laughs> to you. There's one in the world. <laughs> There's only one. I can burn more copies <laughs> for oh, everyone. Man. 
I like to imagine this guy's name is like Mitch or Mick. Barney. Ah, oh, damn it. <laughs> I wanted it to be called like Mitch's Cool Mix. <laughs> it's Barney's Cool Mix. Oh. <laughs> Barney's Cool Jams. <sighs> My mom's childhood dog was named Barney and Aww. he liked to drink beer. <laughs> amazing did he have a favorite or just any whatever my mom's dad was drinking i forget what it was i have um photos of photos of barney sleeping next to his beer can after he drank too much beer poor baby (laughs) he was having a good time yeah he was a sweet boy what kind of dog was he i'm like trying to picture he was a dachshund Oh my god. Just like the normal brownish red one tone Aww. type. <laughs> I was picturing like a big golden retriever. No. <laughs> That's the kind of dog I imagine would drink beer. I'll find you the photo and send I it to you. Barney uh, with his beer. <laughs> Barney's beer jams. That's what we can name it yes. when we uh, sell it on yes. camp. <laughs> All right. Um, what's your what's your number five pick? My number five pick is uh, a Stone Cold classic for all of those, you know, fourth grade, fifth grade literature courses you took as a child. <laughs> it's the book Hatchet by Gary Paulson. Oh, <laughs> have I you completely read forgot this book? about that. Yeah, I have. That book traumatized me. Oh, I, I loved that book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I read it so many times. Corey really? and I loved it. <laughs> Wow. It was really aspirational for me. <laughs> aspirational? You wanted to get lost in the wilderness and have yeah. the fun for your own survival? I did. That's literally what I wanted. I spent a lot of time in the woods, and I was like, man, if I could just be self-sufficient like Brian in Hatchet, like, I'd be killing it out here. Oh. Like, I, I found his actions very aspirational i was like i want to be like him and catch fish and hunt you know birds and just hang out on my own and be resourceful and just hang out in the woods all day wow yeah that's a deep cut yeah gary paulson r.i.p he died last year um, but I was looking on his Wikipedia page today, and holy fuck, he wrote a lot of books. Yeah, a lot of and them. a lot of them were like a, weren't they like some of them a series from like the Hatchet? Many books? he had. Yeah. yeah, there was a Hatchet series that was four books long, but he had some other series mm-hmm. that looked to be fifteen to twenty books long. He wow. was writing a ton of books. That's some Stephen King shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Go Gary. Yeah, so Hatchet came out in 1986. So, wow. What an American classic. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. I guess I should say, it's, if you haven't heard of it, it is about a boy, I think he's somewhere around 13 to 15, and he is in a very small, like, Cessna plane crash, I think in the Canadian wilderness, And the pilot dies in the plane crash, and he is left on his own with the wreckage um, in a lake. And he just has a hatchet and the clothes on his back, and he has to figure out how to survive in the wilderness and find food and shelter and try to get rescued, because that is 
not the kind of crash site you can very easily find. So it's just his trials and tribulations, just trying to make it out in the woods. It was a great story. (laughs) I do not want to be stranded in the woods. I would not handle that well at all. That's my worst nightmare, actually. (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, we're so different. I love it. We're so different. (laughs) People are learning so much about us. Oh, man. Were you, like, in Scouts as a kid? Or did no, you just... No, I didn't need that shit. <laughs> you, didn't. you didn't. They made the girls, like, sell cookies and wrap presents and stuff like that. And I was like, no, dude, I'm out here playing with knives and dirt. <laughs> I got my own Scouts. My whole backyard was woods, and I could, like, start fires every day. That was one of my main hobbies. <laughs> you and my husband starting fires. You would have been maniacs as kids if you'd known each other. <laughs> yeah. Uh, did I ever tell you about the time that Scott um, built a bridge so good in his backyard that he created a dam and flooded his entire backyard? I think so. Uh, I think you did. That's amazing. That reminds that. me of one of Stephen King's stories mm-hmm. in On Writing, where he and his older brother basically did the exact same thing, but not in their backyard, but in a public area. <laughs> <laughs> Menaces! I love uh, it. I'm a menace of the woods, baby. <laughs> I bet Scott liked Hatchet. Mm. I, yeah, I bet he did. <laughs> I feel like if I were to be stranded on an island with two people, I would only survive if it was you and Scott. (laughs) (laughs) That's a dream team. I know. Please take care of me. I'll fight all of the snakes. (laughs) Yes. You're on snake duty. (laughs) Scott's making a shelter. I'll make a snake snack. (laughs) (laughs) And then I would try to do something helpful. I'd be there for emotional support. You can make the rocks on the beach that say SOS. I would be very good at that. Mm-hmm. And I would be good at organizing our supplies and trying to make spreadsheets mm-hmm. on leaves. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, can you give me some leaves so that I can take notes on this? Uh, useless in a survival scenario. All right. <laughs> Let's keep it moving. My number four pick is the movie... The Aristocats. I remember that. Fantastic film. I loved it. The jams in that movie slap so hard. What's the plot of that one again? I know I've seen it. There's this old lady, and she has a mom cat, and the mom cat has three babies. Mm -hmm. And she's going to leave everything to her cats in her will. (laughs) So then... The butler, who has worked with this woman for many, many years, comes up with a plot to get rid of the cats. So he Mm. puts them all in, like, a little bassinet and then dumps them in a river. And it's their, like, journey to get back to Madame and the mom cat. Wish I knew her name. Wish I'd looked up the (laughs) names. Duchess. Duchess is the name of the mother cat. Duchess... And the kittens run into O'Malley, who is an alley cat, and he offers to help them get back. And in the meantime, Duchess and O'Malley fall in love, and eventually they get back to 
Madame and so happy ever after. On the way, they like meet a bunch of other cats and they sing songs and it's very jazzy and fun. So hmm. it's a high quality film. Have you ever seen the binging with Babish episode for the Aristocats where the he makes oh creme de la creme? Yeah, like the the whipped cream creme with de chocolate la chips Edgar. in it or something. Yeah. Um I found that very satisfying because I remember Did he make the big cracker? I don't know. I just remember like the whipped cream mm-hmm. concoction and thinking that looked in immensely appetizing. <laughs> yeah. In that animation. Yeah. And I think he left out the sleeping medicine. Oh, did I? I don't remember that. I think that's how Edgar gets the kittens to fall asleep. Oh, he, like, feeds that to them, and then they I all fall see. asleep. Um, but I think Babish leaves out the sleeping medication. Yeah, probably. <laughs> it's actually kind of similar in plot. Well, a bit similar in plot to my number four spot, which is also... A movie, and it's called Homeward Bound, colon, The Incredible Journey. <laughs> yes. Do you know this film? I do. Isn't that the one where they had, was it like two dogs and a cat? Yes. Two dogs and a cat are separated from their family and must cross the Sierra Nevada mountains to reach home. <laughs> Another wilderness movie. <laughs> yes. You just, just also really want to be. Survival. You just really want to be dropped off somewhere and have to find your way back. <laughs> you just really want that challenge. Um. Yeah, I noticed that when I was <laughs> putting my rankings together. I'm like, oh, interesting. Also, survival. Hmm. Um. I loved this movie. I probably watched it an insane number of times. It is. Great, because there's almost no people in it. It's just these three animals, and they are dubbed over with human voices. I love it. Um, So the main dog character, his name is Chance, and he's your narrator for the film. And he's voiced by Michael J. Fox and Sally Field. Um, She voices the cat. And it's just the three of them trying to get home and having misadventures. And... It's great, and it's heartwarming, and I watched the trailer today just to kind of get a reminder of everything that was going on, and I was really impressed by just the the animal actors. (laughs) I don't know how else to say it, because it's, it's irritating to me how often people opt for CGI animals Mm -hmm. nowadays for just the simplest thing. Mm-hmm. And when you look at all of the different scenarios that these animal actors were filmed in with other species of animal actors, too, like there's multiple bears, there's a mountain lion, there's a porcupine. They're all real animals acting in these scenes together uh, cooperatively. And I can't imagine how difficult it was to shoot this film now as an adult. Like, it's insane. It's all practical they are throwing these dogs in a river. It's insane. <laughs> I don't know how they did it, but it pleases me <laughs> that it's all practical animal acting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's great. And I loved it. I loved it as a kid. I watched it a million times. Yeah, I, I definitely have seen that. But I think it was only when it was like on TV and I'd be like, catching it in the middle or something. Mm -hmm. I don't think I've ever seen it all the way through. 
Yeah, we had the VHS with the little cardboard sleeve cover. Uh, nice. Those were good times. Yeah. You should, um, if you have children, I think any child would like that. It's probably pretty timeless. Mm-hmm. So my number three pick is an umbrella of Studio Ghibli films, but more specifically, I watched Kiki's Delivery Service a lot as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you haven't seen that film, it is, it, it's a cartoon kind of more in an anime style. And it is basically a coming of age story about a girl who is a witch And the tradition is that when you come of age, you have to go out and do, like, kind of apprenticeship work for a year. And you've just got to, like, kind of fly the coop and get some experience. So this young girl, Kiki, sets off on her, like, year of service. I don't know. And she has... She just, like, meets a lot of really wholesome people who help her grow and help her throughout the movie. I don't even remember if there's really an antagonist. Hmm. Honestly, I don't remember, like, if there was any kind of big bad. Um, Or if it was just, like, you kind of watching Kiki grow and, like, do her coming-of-age stuff. I don't know. Um, There's a very cute cat. It's a little black cat. I forget their name. It was cute, though. And yeah, the people that Kiki meets along the way are very interesting. Um, So like the first person that kind of makes an impact on her is this um, artist that lives out in the woods and um, is kind of all alone and very self-sufficient. And then she works at like a bakery for a little while with like very wholesome uh, bakery people who are very sweet. And she also has, like, a little love interest relationship with this, like, little nerdy boy. I love it. It's Mm -hmm. all good. All good vibes. Very little stress. I did not like being stressed as a child, and I do not like being stressed as an adult. (laughs) Um, So this is definitely, like, a really good movie for that. Because no one's, like, doing anything needlessly dumb or stressful. (laughs) It's not a fight for survival. (laughs) No. In general, though, Studio Ghibli uh, has, like, lots of very cute creatures that studio has also put out. Um, Spirited Away, which I watched a lot as a kid. Castle in the Sky. Those films are all very good. And I think that they are just, like, a very different child-friendly cartoon to watch. Um, A lot of, like, the media that I've been exposed to recently, like, targeted towards children I feel like the themes tend to be a little more stressful like characters being mean to each other and like bullying and stuff like that and I I really like that Studio Ghibli has such wholesome vibes and like wholesome themes in -hmm. their content so they're very entertaining okay so my number three is a television series This was another shared favorite of uh, Corey's and mine. We would come home after school every day and watch Great Chefs of the World on the Discovery Channel. 
I have never even heard of this. <laughs> this was a television series that they made throughout the 90s where a camera crew would go all over the world to a bunch of famous restaurants and they would have the head chef there recreate um, like a signature dish mm-hmm. for them. So there wasn't a host. You just cut straight to that chef's kitchen and they walked you through making the dish. And there was three dishes per episode. There was like sort of like an appetizer-ish type thing and a main dish and then a dessert usually. And Corey and I just loved watching (laughs) this show. Uh, I think we both really enjoy watching the processes of cooking different dishes. Mm -hmm. And it was in so many different countries that the amount of different processes you could witness was staggering. And it was just really fun to watch people work and tell you what they were doing, usually in their native language. Mm -hmm. And something about it was very soothing. And we just loved watching that. And I still sometimes will look up the the theme song on YouTube just to listen to it because it's it's just this jazzy little tune, but it makes me so happy. <laughs> and I think of like the graphics of their opening credits <laughs> and sitting on our like green corduroy couch waiting for the show to start. Oh, <laughs> that's so uh, cute. Yeah, it's a good time. I feel like that would just make me really hungry, though. But what a cool way to learn about, like, dishes in other countries and other countries' cultures. I think that that's one, like, major failing of, like, the Food Network and stuff recently Mm. is that, like, a lot of the most popular shows are, like, Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives and, Uh. like, just, like, very American food and American culture and... I think it would be cool to have more shows that highlight international cuisine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. this is that for sure. Yeah, cool. The series is on Amazon Prime. I found all eight seasons. You can get it if you wanted. (laughs) All right, now we're getting into the nitty gritty, the top Mm -hmm. two position. Um, So this is one that I feel a lot more strongly about. Um, and have, like, more of a, a personal relationship with this piece of media. So um, my number two pick is the Harry Potter books and movies. This is a series that came out uh, and was, like, being published and the movies were being made as I was growing up. And when I was really young, before I could read, my mom started reading me Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. And that was like our first chapter book that we'd read together. And it really fostered this love of reading that I have today. Those are books that I have reread over and over again. I actually just finished my most recent read through of the books in like March of this year, I think. I started at Christmas time because. The books just give me, especially the first book, it's, like, good Christmas vibes. There's, like, the Christmas scene where Harry has 
his first Christmas with presents and the Weasley send him gifts. And I just, it's really wholesome. And I love that for Christmas reasons. It's one of my favorite scenes. But yeah, uh, it's just definitely like an instant classic for me that book series and it's like very mainstream but definitely something that like shaped my love of reading as a small child and I feel like it was really cool to grow as the books were growing so like when I was younger I was reading the younger years of Harry Potter and then um when I was like entering high school was when, like, the last couple books were coming out. And Mm -hmm. so it really felt like I had, like, grown up with the characters and was kind of at the same stages in my life as they were when they were experiencing all the things in the books. So that was really cool. That was, like, a cool experience to grow up with. And the movies just hold, like, a really special place in my heart. Um, I used to have this, like tiny tv that had a vcr built into it and so it was like uh like less than a a foot cubed and had its own (laughs) little vcr and i used to play my uh my copy of the chamber of secrets just every night before bed and i would fall asleep to it every night at bedtime Mm -hmm. and to this day whenever i hear like the intro theme to any Harry Potter, it makes me instantly sleepy because hmm. um, I just conditioned myself to fall right asleep to that music. Is that um, the, f- the first one? No, that's the second one. Okay. Um, and yeah, that one is one of my favorite of the movies. I just think that it's like really well done and they stayed really true to the books. And yeah, I highly recommend the books. Um, we used to read them at the daycare with the kids when they were learning to read as well. So that Mm -hmm. was always like really fun for me to do with the kids because that's how I learned to read. And I think that that's just such a cool thing to get to share with other, with other people. Yeah. My mom would read to us a lot before we could read. So that was a big part of, I mean, probably a big part of me learning to love reading as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and my mom and I, we used to do this, like, mother-daughter book club where we would read a book together and then Mm -hmm. go to meetings. And um, we would, like, sit in her bedroom and we would, like, go back and forth and, like, read a chapter each when I was, like, learning to read still and, like, Mm -hmm. read out loud. And um, it was just a really cool thing that I'm really glad my mom did with me because Mm -hmm. I think it just, like really encouraged a love of reading and not like I didn't watch that much like TV. Cool. Yeah. For me, the book series that was read to me the most and then I like read myself once I learned how to read was Nancy Drew, the detective mysteries essentially. Um I can they're in like my honorable mentions for this list, but yeah, I super I have really good memories of those. Yeah, my mom used to read me Nancy Drews, too. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. I can, like, remember the, like, library-bound editions, too. With the yellow spine? Yeah. Yes. I loved that. I hate a dust cover. Everything should just be a library edition. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, big 
time. No one uh, wants a dust yeah. cover. I lose them. They get destroyed. I don't understand the point. But yeah, that's my number two pick. Okay, my number two is also a series of books. It is the I Spy book series. The ones that are, it's all, it's mostly photos. And Mm -hmm. then there's text um, that gives you prompts for a visual search (laughs) that you're doing. Uh Uh-huh. Throughout these very detailed photos. Do you know what I mean? Definitely. I fucking loved these (laughs) books. (laughs) I loved them. I love any activity that involves look and find. (laughs) Yes, you do. You're so good at it. I'm so good. I'll be like, Remy, where's this thing? Please, I need a second set of eyes. My brain is just not able and I'm find so anything. good at look and find. I think because I was so well trained by these books as a child. I didn't do enough. I didn't do my training. Um, I just love everything about them. They, looking back through images of them on like Google image search, uh-huh. it is just like a, a main line of nostalgia. Like the images are so ingrained in my brain just from spending so much time staring at them and admiring them. Like, I, they're just very aesthetically pleasing at face value, I think. There's so much care and attention to detail was put into them. And they follow, like, nice little cohesive themes for each book. Like, each book is a collection of, um, I don't know, I guess maybe 15 or so images that you're doing these visual searches in. And they each have different themes, like back to school or um, fantasy or things like that. Um, I would say my top two favorites of all time (laughs) were I Spy Spooky Night (laughs) and also I Spy Treasure Hunt. Oh, God, they're beautiful and perfect. (laughs) I love those books. And there's just something about them. I love, I just love looking at them. They're fantastic. And... All of the images were, like, the, the still life scenes, I guess you could say, were curated and created by Walter Wick, who also did the photography. And then uh, Jean Marzolo, she writes the actual words and the riddles that you're using to um, get clues to find the specific objects that you're looking for. Mm-hmm. And I could spend hours doing this even though I you know obviously solved them it was still fun to go back and redo them because you have like child goldfish memory and you forget (laughs) where they are and it's fun to go back and do them a million times so what a great time I I love it I'm just like scrolling through these images (laughs) they're so pleasing to look yeah they are and they're very pretty I know one day I just want to get all of the books again and just so I can look at them oh okay yes I recently went to a game cafe Mm -hmm. so they don't sell games but you basically go in and you play pay a cover Mm -hmm. um and I've seen this before but not with like fancy board games that are like very niche and so I went in the other day and got like a tour and they were showing me this game that I'm very intrigued by called 
a micro macro crime city mm-hmm. and it's basically like this big illustration and you're just solving crimes in mm-hmm. this illustration like all of the clues are there but it's almost very like where's waldo-esque and i have not played it yet but it sounds very interesting <laughs> That sounds like something I would love. Look and find and detection. <laughs> nice. All right. Are we already at top one? Yes. I feel like we've just been flying through this, but I'm actually going to take a little more time to talk about my top film. Great. So my number one spot is the film Labyrinth, which I talk about constantly. That's true. I love this film as an adult and as a kid. I loved this film. It's a 1986 film that was directed by Jim Henson, who is known for his puppets. And it was also produced by George Lucas, which I didn't know Hmm. um, until today. And it stars David Bowie. It is a fantastic film. Like, it's just, it's got, like, a good plot. It, like, progresses through the plot really well. And the characters are entertaining. But also in terms of the practical effects that are being used in this film, it is a masterpiece. Like there are scenes with like 40 puppets. Mm -hmm. And like if you look at like behind the scenes documentary type stuff Mm -hmm. about this movie, sometimes there's like two people per puppet or like three people per puppet. And they're like... Two people are controlling the arms and one person is like tied to this puppet that they're like controlling the body on. And it is just insane. Like I feel like not enough people appreciate the sheer like engineering that has to go into something like this to Mm -hmm. make it believable and beautiful. It's just a work of art. And like Hoggle, there's a person inside a costume and this person is wearing an animatronic head that is being controlled by four different people. Each individual eyelid can be controlled and like the cheekbones to like make these really human-like expressions. And that's being controlled by four different people. (laughs) And then there's a person inside of the costume and it's just, I don't know. I don't know how they pulled it off. It had to have taken so long to just, like, even get all of your puppets made. Oh, yeah. So the plot is that there is a main character. Her name's Sarah. She is a teenager and is played by Jennifer Connelly. Um, This was, like, one of her first roles. I think it might have been her first role. And she was 14 at the time of filming this movie and... If you watch, like, documentaries about the making of this film, David Bowie can't go on enough about how, like, mature and impressed and fantastic she was as an actress. And Jim Henson actually made a comment about how he was actually having her do, like, this kind of, like, dangerous and risky stuff. And he wouldn't even, like, realize that it was dangerous until she was doing it. And she, like, never complained and was, like, such a trooper and was like really brave uh and i just like to hear them talk about her acting performance was really wholesome because they very clearly loved working with her anyway so sarah gets left alone um to babysit her half brother so her mom has remarried her 
half-brother is a little baby. His name is Toby. Mm-hmm. And he is actually one of, like, the the concept... I think they did, like, set design. It's actually his son ends up being the actor for Toby because oh, wow. he, like, drew a picture of a baby and then his baby ended up looking exactly like the baby he drew. And it was cute. But Sarah is obsessed with this book. I actually... It might actually be called Labyrinth. It's not a real book. She, like reads out of it she goes to the park and like acts it out like she's doing her own little play and she does all of like these costumes and um her character really spoke to like the inner child in me because I like spent a lot of my time reading and like living in the fantasy worlds that I was like reading about as a kid and Mm -hmm. I just, like, really related to that aspect of her character as a child and thought it was really cool. And, um, basically, there is, uh, in this book, there is a goblin king named Jareth, who is David Bowie's character. Mm -hmm. And she gets left alone to babysit her brother, and she's very angry about it, and the baby won't stop crying. And she says, if you don't stop crying, I'm going to give you up to the goblins. (laughs) And just, like, fucking try me. I will give you up to these goblins. And uh, she's just, like, kidding. And then the baby, she, like, gets the baby to settle down. And she says, I do hope the goblins take you away. And then um, the goblins come and they take the baby away. Uh And they just kind of go rogue. And it's kind of uh, the goblin king shows up. And he says, if you can rescue your brother from the center of the labyrinth, then you can take him back home, basically. And so it is Sarah trying to navigate this labyrinth toward the Goblin City to rescue her brother. Um, And she encounters a lot of really interesting characters along the way. She befriends um, Hoggle, who is kind of like a henchman to Jareth and is kind of doing his bidding. And she also meets this like Yeti type character named Ludo, Mm -hmm. who when I first watched it, I thought he was bad and I was really scared of Ludo, but he's a gem and so sweet. And I think that like the puppets are kind of scary looking and I love that in the movie, Sarah is never, like, scared of anyone based on their appearance. Like, she's never, like, afraid just because someone looks a little bit scary. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that's a really great trait to show kids. (laughs) Of Like, you can make friends with people who look different than you, and you don't have to judge them based on what they look like. And I think that that's great. All the side characters are so cute. And it is... Like, I would say that there are, like, more juvenile aspects to the film, definitely. But it it can speak to an adult as much as I think it can speak to a child. Um, I don't think it was, like, specifically designed for children to watch. Oh, really? I would say that I enjoy it a lot as an adult. And I don't know. I don't really know the audience that they were, like, gearing it towards. But it falls in this, like, nice, happy, intermediate zone, mm-hmm. I think. But it's definitely got a little bit of humor here and there. 
and it's not as like serious as the Dark Crystal, which I really like. There's like the Bog of Eternal Stench, which is just goofy and stinky. But yeah, lots of really cute characters, lots of really good David Bowie songs. Um, He like wrote and performed all the music for the movie, aside from like score type stuff. Right. What a cool guy. Yeah. Like the intro song, Underground, is like peak music for me. (laughs) I still listen to that song and I really, really like that song. Whereas like other music from the movie doesn't really like transcend the movie. I feel like Underground is a song that could be, like, heard on the radio, you know? Mm -hmm. It also rides the line of, like, being a musical but not being a musical. Because there are, like, two music numbers where David Bowie's character is, like, singing and it's, like, dramatic. And then one where you interact with the Wild Gang. um, Which is the coolest puppeteering I've ever seen. They're so scary. (laughs) I was terrified of the Wild Gang as a kid. And they, like, create really cool optical illusions at the very end. They basically designed this set that looks like, um, you know, the optical illusion of the staircases set? MC... MC Escher? Escher, yes. Uh Um, They basically create that in a 3D space... And they talk about how they have to light it very specifically so that you can't tell which way is up and which way is down. Uh And so, like, they talk a lot in this documentary that I've seen. They, like, talk a lot about the lighting and all of the things that have to be taken into account in in, in each of the scenes. And I highly recommend it. Go watch it. I watched it every day for, like, an entire summer. I couldn't stop watching it. It was my favorite film, so... That's awesome. Not enough people have seen this movie. I always love when I'm, like, listening to a podcast and they make a reference to, like, Labyrinth. And I'm uh-huh. like, I found someone else that knows that knows how good this movie is. Yeah. Borders on obsession for me. <laughs> but, yeah, that's all, that's all I've really got for that. That's awesome. Good yeah. pick. Okay. Ready? Mm-hmm. All What's right. your number one? <laughs> Uh, I'm certain you will not be surprised, but my number one is a collection of films um, that I would describe as the classic Godzilla franchise Yes. (laughs) I was so hoping that we would get to talk about this. Uh, Of course, of course Godzilla's number one. Um, So this is basically... All I would include any of the original Japanese language films made between 1954 and 1995 in this category. I know that covers a couple different eras of Godzilla films, but Corey and I did not discriminate <laughs> between different <laughs> eras as children. We just watched them all on VHS and had our Godzilla uh, action figures and would act out a lot of the main battles and stuff (laughs) on the carpet. And he and I, we just loved these films. So I don't even know what it is about them per se. Like, obviously, as kids, we were there for the monsters and... Mm -hmm monsters fighting monsters and monsters destroying cities and just monsters basically smashing shit up that Mm -hmm. was 
a huge draw <laughs> for whatever reason. And I think we just really love the pantheon of other monsters that Godzilla mm-hmm. would be interacting with and all of the different reincarnations of Godzilla. So, I mean, I love regular Godzilla. He'll always be my favorite, but there's also like Mecha Godzilla and Space Godzilla and Baby Godzilla. <laughs> <laughs> so those are all really fun. So many Godzilla. <laughs> so many. Uh, Godzilla versus Mecha Godzilla. That's a classic showdown. <laughs> I think, wins? Uh, Godzilla, of course. <laughs> what is the difference between Godzilla and Mechagodzilla? Mechagodzilla is a robot version of Godzilla. Ah. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Um, Space Godzilla's <laughs> from space. And Robots maybe... will never beat real Of course monsters. not. No, thank you. No. Not, not yet, anyway. <laughs> uh... <laughs> And then Baby Godzilla was Godzilla's son. (laughs) I don't know how he was created, per se, (laughs) without another of the species. (laughs) Um, But I'm glad he existed. Life finds a way. Life finds a way, exactly. (laughs) Um, And there were just so many great group melees, basically, where... All of the fucking monsters came to jam, and just it was just monsters fighting monsters all over but the place. But why? Why? What are they fighting about? I don't remember. Here's an interesting thing about <laughs> these films: is that sometimes Godzilla was a good guy, and sometimes he was a bad guy, uh-huh. and it was really interesting to see how things would turn out, because obviously he kind of started out as a menace, you know, Mm -hmm. destroying (laughs) Tokyo and other various seaports. (laughs) 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 But in some other films, he would protect the planet Earth from invading space monsters. Mm, and don't other... fuck up my Earth. Yeah, exactly. So sometimes he was on the side of the humans and sometimes he wasn't. Sometimes he was, I think, just on the side of the environment. <laughs> and... Or just on his own side. Or just He's on like, his own this side. is where I live and you cannot come here. Yeah. I love it. Oh, it was so good. And, oh man, we had such a good time. All of the different monsters were great. I would say my top three favorite ancillary monsters would be Rodan, King Hedorah, obviously, and then, of course, (laughs) the king of all monsters, Mothra. (laughs) To this day, I think about Mothra at least once a week. And all of these monsters had a lot of their own individual films as well that Mm -hmm. would kind of be an introduction to them before they eventually came to fight Godzilla. So... Mm -hmm. There was an ev- it was a very expansive film franchise. With lots of spin-offs. Lots of spin-offs. Um, yeah. And then, I don't know. It was just, just a fascinating world. Sometimes Godzilla fought a smog monster. And sometimes Godzilla fought Biolanti, which was a big plant. <laughs> the cover art for these VHSs was phenomenal. And... The action figures were amazing, obviously. Oh, but I should say, something that I still 
to this day will listen to just on my own time is the score, particularly the main theme, (laughs) which was originally written by Akira Ifukube, and he wrote that original main theme, I think, for the 1954 Godzilla, but it is such an iconic theme that different variations of it are used in almost all of the subsequent films, even in the the most recent American versions that have come out in the past six years or so do a, a variation of that main theme, and it's it's so good. I love it. I listen to it semi-frequently, often while exercising. <laughs> There's a great YouTube video that's, I think it's called The Evolution of Godzilla, but it's the evolution of the main theme across mm. various films, and it's really well done. Yeah. So, I love that. Yeah. I don't know. There's just something about it. Yeah. <laughs> I love a classic Godzilla. I yeah. love the... Um, what would you even call it? The sound effects, I guess, mm-hmm. is just what you call it, especially Godzilla's noises. I mean, <laughs> classic. Love that. Love Godzilla's. What What do Godzilla noises sound like? He does kind of like a screeching noise. <laughs> <laughs> a nice screeching roar. That is trademarked, I believe. I don't think you can just use it willy-nilly. Um, wow. And I, I feel like... I can't remember if it was hard for them to get the rights for it in, like, the failed late 90s American Godzilla mm-hmm. or something like that. But it, he has a very distinct noise that he makes. Yeah. <laughs> it's wonderful. Um, but, yeah, Corey and I did not like the Americanized version where Godzilla mm-hmm. has a different body shape and comes to New York City and terrorizes Matthew Broderick. We were discerning and we were like this sucks (laughs) (laughs) so don't watch that one don't watch that one ever where should people start if they want to watch a godzilla movie and see what all the fuss is about good question um i would say i mean you can start at the very beginning with the 1994 godzilla but if you want to get a taste for several different monsters you could do destroy all monsters <laughs> that's a I love that's got uh, that's got my my top three ancillary faves in it so i would go with probably that one destroy all monsters yeah okay. yeah i've never seen a godzilla movie so oh yeah it's great Ugh. i feel like i wish i, I still had that. those vhs's so bad I wonder where they are. I wonder if Corey has them. It's, there's a good chance he does. I'd love Gotta to rewatch that up. as an adult and see yeah. how it holds up. I think I tried to do that. I think some of them are, a lot of them are on HBO Max, actually. I think that was a really fun top five. Yeah, that's a, that. a sneak peek into our origins <laughs> and the kinds of vibes we had going on as children. Yeah, very different. <laughs> I love it. Lots of survival scenarios. Yeah, lots of fighting. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that ran the gamut. Yeah, definitely. Did you have honorable mentions that you wanted uh, to? Um, I mean, I already brought up Nancy Drew. So I think 
I think it's also worth mentioning the Land Before Time series. Mm. That was like mm-hmm. the animated dinosaurs. Um, <laughs> I think that was also mostly just survival scenario based, <laughs> now that I think about it. I'm trying to remember what they were trying to accomplish, and I don't know if it was that they were separated from their families and trying to return to them. I think that's what the first one was about. Have you seen those? I, I, yes. I remember watching them when I was really little. Yeah. Um, and I think they made me sad because oh, some they of the were characters. Sad. Yeah, and I don't like to be sad. <laughs> I hate being sad. They were crazy sad. There was oh, lots of dying. Unnecessary. <laughs> um, but I liked those. And the star leaves that they ate. Mm-hmm. God, so appetizing looking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, land before time. Speaking of dinosaurs, um, my honorable mention. Um, I only have one, but it is Jurassic Park, which is a movie I watched as a kid, but I don't feel like I fully appreciated it until I got into adulthood. Um, I like really like watched it again when, um, I was in like college and it was like kind of my comfort movie Mm -hmm. throughout college and I would watch it whenever I had like a big test coming up. Mm-hmm. But uh, I definitely liked it as a kid, and I didn't feel like it really counted to include in like my top five. But it's definitely one of my another one of my favorite movies of all time. So that reminds me, I do have one more film I want to shout out. Have <laughs> the, the movie Tremors. <laughs> oh, with Kevin Bacon and the rest. I've never seen that. Oh my god, it is so good is it? it do you know what the premise is worms yeah big sandworms <laughs> yeah. not quite as big as dune dune worms <laughs> <laughs> but it's worms in this valley out in the american west and this handful of people are trapped in a small town and the worms are terrorizing them from under the ground and they have to use teamwork and ingenuity to outwit them and outlast and survive. (laughs) Thanks for joining us this week on Friend Diagram. Thank you to Tyler Seek for the creation of our intro and outro music. Did you take any of our recommendations? Have any thoughts on the show? Let us know at friendiagrampod at gmail.com and we might read your email on a future episode. If you can, please take a moment to rate and review the show on your podcast app of choice and we'll see you back here same place next week. Bye for now.